is Carlos from Seed Camp. I'm here with a really good personal friend, a mentor, and somebody who's very, very capable in the field of helping companies to find their brand. And what is brand? Well, I'll have him walk us through that in a bit. Uh, but let me introduce Gabby Kahane. And Gabby uh, has an interesting background which led to what you know has allowed him to accumulate the experiences to do what he does really well. But it's best as with any story to hear from the person who lived through it. So Gabby, um, I heard that you came to the UK, but you weren't exactly born here, even though obviously you're very English. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up here? Yeah, so um, thank you, Carlos, for having me. Um, so I was born in Israel in uh, 1972, after my parents emigrated there. But I left there when I was about uh, three years old um, and moved to the UK. Um, I moved to um, kind of not the best neighbourhood, you might say. So I grew up in kind of uh, in council state um, and um, kind of rolled with the punches in that uh, in that in that environment um, and learnt quite a few different things, quite a few life hacks, you might say, that come out of that environment. Um, but the, the, the way I got onto the path of the career I'm into now was actually in my late teens. Um, so in the, in the kind of mid-late 80s, hip-hop music was a big thing for us and hip-hop culture was a big thing for us growing up. And I was uh, a budding graffiti artist and uh, I used to tag the trains in London. <laughs> and, uh, and I was arrested, actually, um, in the process of tagging a train. Um, and I was taken to Baker Street Police Station and cautioned by actually what turned out to be um, probably the first mentor I ever had. Uh, so this kindly old uh, police officer in Baker Street Police Station said, well, you know, why, uh, why if you think you're creative, are you vandalising things? Why don't you go out and you know, make a career out of that? Um, and at the time, design, advertising was kind of hot, right? Yuppies and black polar necks and working for big ad agencies looked kind of sexy. Um, it was that kind of golden age of long lunches and fast cars. And I thought, yeah, man, why not? Let's try that. <laughs> nice. Um, so that kind of set me on the path. And basically, I scraped myself into um, art school, design school. I did a foundation course for a year. Like, literally had no portfolio, had no kind of real background there apart from the graffiti stuff and bits and pieces. So yeah. I kind of, yeah, scraped in um, and they gave me a shot. And at the end of that uh, first year, I realised, you know what, this kind of design thing is good. For, for me, it was actually turned out to be more about the thought process than the aesthetics um, so so I guess, walk us through a little bit of the, that design process that you just mentioned. Like, what, what's that like? If you had to sort of break it down for somebody who's never heard of this, what, what would that look like? So the way we were taught, and I don't know if this is common across other, you know, I, I went to like Newham Community College, right? This is not Central St. Martins or, or some kind of top-end university. I, I was at like a, a, a local college, but actually at the time we had some fantastic... Uh, lecturers coming in and some amazing tutors who were, I know, doing their bit to give back to the poor kids, I don't know. <laughs> but we had some great people come in. Um, and I, so I don't know if this is common elsewhere, but we were taught with this, with this 
kind of design thinking principle, as was explained to us, I didn't know any better then. Uh, arguably, I don't know any better now. But what I was told was, look, you need to really break this stuff down, right? You need to really, really genuinely understand who it is you're trying to solve the problem for. Um, and then you need to think laterally about how you might solve that problem. So whether that's aesthetics, whether that's the, the, the way you write, whether the, that's the way you uh, render the product in some way, whatever that might be, you are solving a problem. The brief is the most important thing. Not the client, not your taste. Yeah. The brief, solve that problem. That is what you're looking to do. You're selling this, you're communicating that, you're building product X or Y. Um, and I think that's probably the most valuable lesson I learned and going through that process for quite a long time. And also learning, you know, compute skills, design skills, aesthetic stuff, composition, colour, theory, typography, all of that stuff. Super useful for me. I mean, I will out-pitch deck any motherfucker on the planet because I know how to design great-looking stuff and I know how to put a, a story together and a narrative together. But do I want to do the design? Did I want to do the actual design? I got a kick out of it for a while, but I realized m my skill lied in the distillation piece, mm -hmm. the translation piece, mm -hmm. rather than the visual expression piece. Mm -hmm. So I'm competent at that stuff, and uh, I think I, even now, 20 plus, 20 plus? More than that, years on, 25 plus years on, um, I, I, can, you know, I can still turn my hand to that stuff, and it certainly informs the way I execute things. Yeah. But it wasn't the thing that got me excited. The thing that got me excited was how can you how can you solve a problem and then articulate that to the to the the audience you need to speak to. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And the, there's something you mentioned a little earlier because uh, you kind of made it as a passing comment about the brief. And the brief is something that you know I've heard you talk about in the past, but it's not something that maybe everyone in the audience is familiar with. But let's use the skill that you. Um, are really kind of saying you prefer, which is the distillation of, of all these all these elements into something that makes sense and isn't actionable by whoever the designer might be. And in, in some ways, I, it's my understanding of what a brief is as well. So maybe you can help uh, the audience understand kind of what is a brief. And, and in the case of a startup where there is no formality to it, like what does that look like? So I, I would say the brief is the... I mean, in a way, the brief for a startup is kind of like their the kernel of their idea for their whole bit. That's their hypothesis, right? Yeah. In a way, you're saying, I would like to build a business that does X. I think it will do this. So in order to find that out, I need to execute against some stuff to prove my assumptions are correct. Yeah. That's, that's like a brief, yeah. right? The brief is, if I build this, will people do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. And will they pay for it or how will they yeah. make it work? That's kind of the brief. From a, from a design perspective or a writing a comm strategy perspective, but it's the same kind of thing. We're saying, here's an audience that we want to speak to. Here, here is uh, the kind of fundamental things we have in order to, to um, kind of get our message across. Hey, designer or PR person or brand strategist, can you take the end goal and what we have now and translate that through? The more information you can put in the brief about stuff you understand, uh, the market, the, the customer, their behavior, their beliefs, where they are, what you understand about them, uh, what you know about your business, what your vision is, where you're going, what your ambition, like as much information as possible in there. Re and then really the skill of the designer or the brand strategist or the, or the consultant or whoever that is, or even the CEO or the founding team is to extract the, the kind of 
the magic from that brief insight, as an agency would call it, you know, the consumer insight or the, or the commercial insight that's going to translate that into a real thing. Mm. And so with the role that you had, which was more as a recipient of a brief, mm -hmm. um, how much did you start realizing perhaps that those that were giving you the brief uh, were perhaps not looking up all the data or that you then started reaching out to them in a personal capacity to try to get more information that would build a better brief. Yeah, so, so I mean, look, again, if we're going back to, you know, being at, 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 um, at college, it's a long time ago for me, but from, from, from memory, what would happen is you were given two types of project, right? You'd have a live project, like here's an actual case that's out there that you were going to try and solve in your way, yeah. or here's a completely invented project that you're going to work on. Um, and so you would get your A4 sheet of paper and it would give you the top line information. And in a way, part of what they were testing with us was whether we were prepared to push back against that brief mm. and say, but I don't, you haven't told me this, do you know this? And if they don't know the answer, then it's incumbent on you to go and find out the answer, right? Um, or you would go and do your own research to back up what it is you believe is going to solve that problem. But part of what they were teaching us to do is to go beyond that brief, mm -hmm. to really dig into it, to really push into it, to push back against the people that set it, and also about people that might provide insight into what you're trying to achieve with mm -hmm. that. It could be anything. It could be anything from it as simple as like do a poster for X, to create a whole product suite for Y, to uh, develop an ad campaign that's going to promote Z. You know, so it could have been anything really. And um, and how often do you find that? the average person in organizations that you work with has effectively done the equivalent of receiving the A4 and just going with it without necessarily going further. Yeah, I, I think the challenge, certainly for large organizations, and you know, I work with quite a few of those as well as the early stage uh, companies, I think for quite a lot of the large organizations, they will spend an inordinate amount of time on a brief, pulling together all the research, giving you the kind of 100-page brief. And actually, that can be as difficult to deal with as, as, as you know, the, the kind of diet version, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the best, the best scenario is when you have someone who really understands the challenge. So that should be the person setting the brief. Someone who's, and it might not even be an individual, but it might be a team, that they have the challenge. Um, and it's teased out through a genuine conversation versus that A4 sheet of paper. So here's a, and, and the brief comes after the conversation, actually. So there's a there should be a top-line brief. We want to reach X amount of people over this time frame to get them to do this, buy our product, sign up, click, whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. And that's the, that's the kind of <clears throat> top line. That's the thing we are trying to achieve. And then the rest of it should be, in my opinion, developed with someone, agency, advisor, whatever they and the client or yeah. the company. So right, so the, the hypothesis, well understood, born out of a conversation, born out of sort of a dialogue between individuals who have a belief together and a culture together, mm -hmm. and from there you start bringing in either employees in the case of a startup or perhaps even the co-founders that mm -hmm. have the capability, or an external party like yourself who then helps catalyze that into all the different components of it. Yeah. Communication packages, advertising, and yeah. these things. All right, cool. So with that, on with that. And we'll but anyway, again, sorry, I just want to just jump back to say, look, in a way, this is how I see co-founders 
coming up with their ideas, right? This yeah. is it's the same principle. You say, here's our brief. We want to build this thing, right? And then you need to go back and have that conversation with, and typically you see this with people around you, with the type of customer you might yeah. be reaching for, you'll test a few things, etc. until you almost, your pitch deck almost, it becomes the combination of, that is the brief. That's saying, hey, the first pitch deck or the first proposal or the first thing you put across to go out and either raise your seed or convince family, fools and friends to throw yeah. their money at you, uh, is that first brief. We are going to, this is what we think we're going to build. Yeah. You know. So what, what we'll talk about is how, and maybe after we, we go through a couple more of sort of what you did after school, is, is how that marries into a lot of what you do right now, which is the branding strategy and a lot of that, that work. So what, what did you do after, after the, the time in college and maybe that initial uh, 18 months of, of, of the job that you, you had? Yeah, so I've, I've only ever had one proper job, and as you said, it last, lasted for 18 months. Um, but it was like I learned in dog years. On that, on that job. So this is um, kind of early 90s. Um, I graduated. I did a few little fun things for friends who were running nightclubs and parties and whatever, and music labels and whatever. So you, you're that design guy for a bit, right? Um, and then I was asked to go back and uh, do some teaching on the course I'd just left. Um, and while I was there, another kind of slight hack, while I was there the phone rang in the faculty office and because I was doing a little bit of teaching with the, with the kind of final year, uh, I picked up the phone, I'm faculty, right, I could pick up the phone, uh, and on the other end of the line was um, one of the people who was running the creative team at a big global agency called Hill and Knowlton, and they were looking for a student to come and help out for a week, doing like mood boards or you know, like an intern type thing, right? Like, 100 quid, can you come in, help us with this big pitch? Uh, do you have any students who'd be willing to do that? So, obviously, I put my hand... I say, yeah, sure, I'll go and find one. Put my hand over the mouthpiece, leave it long enough, and then go, hi, I hear you've got an opportunity. <laughs> Just jumped onto that thing. Nice. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so, I turned up there, I do the week... Um, in in a department which was at the time, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things happening with, you know, digital was beginning to kind of become a thing and websites were beginning to become a thing and tech companies were beginning to be a thing. Um, but this was, you know, quite a big organisation working for big blue chip clients and perhaps hadn't necessarily been exposed to that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm in art school and design school and you're looking at what's coming next and you're full of, you know, optimism and excitement about new tools and technologies and opportunities. So uh, in that week, I, I probably said things that I shouldn't have said and got excited about things that perhaps they had no, no idea about. But what I did get was a job offer pretty much at the end of that week nice. um, to come and work in this department, which, you know, was using Quark Express and PowerPoint to, in effect, put together new business pitches and some additional design work. Um, during the time I was there as an employee in that 18 months, that whole thing completely changed. It became a practice within their practice. And it started to do... I'd like to think I was part of that transition because I agitated quite a lot to do other things, um, being ambitious and young and full of ideas. Um, and... It ended up, it ended up becoming like a fully blown design, brand, digital practice within the whole of Hill and Alton. What was wonderful is that you had access to some of the biggest clients in the world to go and do some of that stuff with. So I ended up learning a hell of a lot. I learned about pitching, I learned about decks, 
I learned about pricing, I continued with design education in practice versus in theory in, on real projects with some of the biggest clients in the world in FMCG, in sport, in finance, in politics, in pharmaceutical. So, and I was in boardrooms that I had no right to be in as well because you know I got the opportunity to be in front of some of the senior people running the accounts and also on the other side you know, running the brands. Yeah. So I learned a hell of a lot. And so then you decided that you've had enough of working for somebody else and you decided to go off on your own and build your own, your own thing. And maybe you can walk us through a little bit about that. Yeah, so what was interesting is that my, my first major client... So, okay, so look, let, me, let me explain how I thought, oh, maybe this is a thing for me. So, obviously, in that short space of time, this PowerPoint factory turns into a brand yeah. uh, business. Um, and I liked the work, and I liked the people, and, uh, and, and the experience that I was having. But what... <laughs> uh, and I guess I was, what, 23? I kind of thought, yeah, but I could probably do this better, right? I, I could probably go and kind of do more of the stuff that I like over here versus the stuff I have to do because I'm fulfilling a, a, a job. Um, and, of course, I could probably make more money doing that too, yeah. right? Um, but my first client was actually the company I was working for because what I did was basically become a consultant mm -hmm. overnight rather than an employee. But it allowed me to do other things, so they weren't yeah. my sole client. And of course, in that kind of industry, people move on. They go internal, they go and work for the brand, or they go and set up their own businesses, or they go and get involved in some sexy startup, or they go and do stuff. People move around, right? The talented people. And because I'd built hopefully a decent network and done some decent work, people used started to ask me to do other things. And then I realized I had the opportunity to maybe build something yeah. decent. Yeah. Um, and I had a great run at that. I had some really good years in my early up to my late 20s of, you know, smashing it with big clients, you know, FT, uh, Adidas, um, some of the biggest drug companies in the world, so big tech brands, you know, real mixture of stuff, really exciting projects. And I, I realized I was great at winning business, I was great at doing the business, but what I realized further along is that I was terrible at running a business. Oh. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in those kind of um, service-based organizations, unlike some of these SaaS models or tech businesses, your uh, revenues can be really lumpy. And being an inexperienced, um, energetic, 20-plus-year-old, um, I hadn't thought about that at all. <laughs> so when it started getting lumpy and cash flow started getting difficult, I, I pretty much blew the whole thing up. Mm. Um, and so that was a massive learning curve. That's that kind of, as an entrepreneur, because I, I didn't realise that that's what I was then, because mm. that's not what you were called, you know, 20 odd years ago. Um, I was just doing what felt natural. I realised that my first entrepreneurial lesson, which is like, you are look after the back office as well as the front office. Yeah. So it's a massive learning for me. Yeah. Um, and something that's kind of informed what I've done since then. And so what have you done since then? So what I, the first thing I did after blowing everything up was do another one. Yeah. So, but I hopefully learning from what I was doing before and I started to kind of shift into more closely to the area I work in now, particularly with the, the big corporates that I work with, which is to kind of 
work less on the deliverables, the kind of here's a campaign or here's a specific thing that's been designed or it's a website or it's a whatever, and more around here's the advice, here's the core of what you're building, here's the purpose, here's the positioning. Um, how do we look at the strategy? How do we develop the culture? So the, we got to a point where and I... those things you would put under the umbrella of brand today. Absolutely. So, so my the way I look at brand, and I think many others would say this as well, I don't think it's unique to me, um, but the way I see brand is that brand is basically everything you make, everything you say, everything you do, everything you provide. I don't think there's anything you could strip out and say, this has no association with our brand. So, you know, your, your pricing is your brand. It's a very clear indicator of where you sit in terms of, you know, your, your product's value and where yeah. it sits in the market. Uh, you could say for really deep tech companies, their algorithm is their brand. This is part of what makes them special and unique and different and valuable. Um, you could say your investors are your brand. So, oh, we've got Sequoia. Wow, suddenly you're more amazing than you might be if you had somebody else, right? So, it, all of these things that you might not immediately think of as brand, because people immediately think of visual identity, uh, tone of voice, or, or your 30-second ad, or your you know, your website, whatever that might be. They are expressions of your brand. They're part of, part of it, for sure. But the things I believe that m deliver a really powerful brand are the stuff I began to work on. So this stuff that sits behind it, that's the platform for it. As, I, as you've heard me bang on about a hundred times, those three Ps, purpose, positioning, personality. I think they are, they are the, the, the backbone. And so basically the, the, the next business I did was much more focused on, on that kind of work. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, that's when I started to have a little dabble with the startup world as well. Mm -hmm. um, because again, your contemporaries at that age, a little bit later on, they're jumping off, they're building things, they're starting things, they're joining things, they're funding things. Yeah. And so I kind of became one of the people that they might ask advice on, yeah. partly because I'd obviously blown some things up, but also because I've contributed to the success of a few things too. Yeah, and, and in, in that success, I mean, it, it's been through helping them not only um, with the three Ps, which we'll kind of explore in a bit, but also in trying to bring out their inner voice, right? Because I think one of the things that... Um, I've experienced working with you uh, and, and, and you helping Seedcamp as well has been that process of sometimes tapping into the resources that are already within the company to bring out um, their, their strategy, their culture, how they develop talent. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, that process that, that is, is critical as a precursor. If, in effect, maybe it's helping the startups or helping a company build its own brief before you can start engaging in, in ideas and actions. Yeah. So I would say that's probably the thing I do most. That's, you know, I'm doing a bit of that every day. It's kind of getting to that core. Um, but you're absolutely right to point out that, you know, the people who need to do that work, the hard work, if you like, are the people in that business, the, those co-founders, the, the global head of function X in a yeah. matrix style organization or you know the, the CEO of that big outfit or well, whoever that might be that you have to have that sponsor that person that says we have this issue we need to solve it and then you have to bring the real um, instigators of whatever change it is that you're trying to affect in the room together to do it 
And and I'm a massive fan of actually doing it in the room. Yeah. So step one, bring in all the key players. One hundred percent. You have to have those people bought in. And by the way, even the people that are going to block you, even the people that you know are the naysayers, the people who want to get off the bus, the people that hate yeah. this shit, that don't want anything to do, that want to stop this change or not go ahead with this, they need to be in the room too. Right. You need the, the 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 enablers and the blockers and the sponsor. Mm. Step one. So step two. Step two <coughs> is you know, the kind of interrogation, <laughs> you know, so really, are, and again, like, I've built workshops that structure this properly, um, and equally, I've just had these conversations over a coffee where you're, you know, you're, you're trying to draw that out, but the key thing is to get those questions, so I, I, I've got a few little tools that I use, one, I like to start with, let's map our fucking entire universe in 20 minutes, so the who, the what, the why, the where, the when. And you know, it's almost like a little worksheet you can do, and it's writing lists. You map it all out, you put it all on the on the page, and then you've got it there. You can look at it all together, and you can interrogate that. You can say, "But this is the world we're operating in. These are the challenges we've got. These are the this is kind of what we're trying to achieve. These are the people that are going to contribute to this." And it's not um, it's not that there's any answers there, but what you get is to see. Um, and then from that piece, why, why I like to go is to ask, you know, the fundamental questions. So those five or six fundamental questions that are going to get to the heart of what the problem is. And for, you know, an early stage company, that might be around the, you know, why do we exist? <laughs> you know, yeah. how do we do what we do? What will we not do? Yeah. Um, you know, those kind of core things. For, a, I don't know, let's say a, a function within a global corporate that's trying to redefine what it does within the business, they might be different. But you know what? A lot of the time, that first question is, let us try and define the reason for our existence, the purpose. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really powerful one to get to. If you can articulate that off the bat, you're winning already. Mm. Um, so so you're, you're enabling that through your workshops and through a lot of the, the questions you ask. You're, you enable people to arrive to that. That purpose, and yeah, and it's also through probably you know twenty plus years of doing this stuff, yeah, and having that, um, having been taught to deconstruct it before you build it back up again through this design thinking that I think influences that. So it's a mix of education yeah. and experience. Yeah. So for those for those of you that are listening, one of the things that Gabby's really good at, um, and he pro- perhaps is not coming across, is he's really good at calling out bullshit. And I think one of the biggest problems that you have whenever you go through this exercise, in particular when you have naysayers in the room, is that you optimize around something that everyone can agree with but absolutely means nothing. Right. And so how do you recommend um, for someone going through this process in a, in a collaborative fashion w- without having it become a dictatorial thing where one person basically gets their way, or alternatively where it becomes death by a million cuts where like you end up with a purpose that's like to make the Vanilla. world a better place. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I've seen you do this with companies, but uh, what is it? What is it? What is that inflection point for you between something that's generic and something that's actually purposeful? So, so, so for me, it would be something that that you will stand up and fucking defend, and you can promote, and you don't sound like a fucking dick saying it. You would put it on your t-shirt, say, "This is why I fucking exist." Right? The t-shirt test. Would I actually stand up in any situation and say, "This is what my company does"? Um, and, and in a way that in any situation a human being in front of you would understand not just a VC or a fucking mentor or some tech person or some corporate giant mm. but like an actual real human being in the world mm. right? um, and also it, it, 
it, it's something that um, ideally how, how can I put it? it this is not about strap lines right this is not like a kind of punchy one liner hey da 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 for the da 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 this isn't all the uber for blah this is not what I'm talking about yeah. this is the thing that fucking drives you the thing that is the reason you have built your business and it needs to be big enough for it to be exciting and ambitious and you're not there yet. You don't want a purpose that you go, oh, done it, fine, that's it, we're finished, happy yeah. days. It's got to be a moving target, but it's got to be something that's concrete and real and that people can feel and understand. I mean, like, as, a, as an example, this is one everyone knows and even more recently will we'll know if they didn't know it before. So the purpose of Google, right, this is yeah. like, everyone must have this embedded in their brain, you know, to organise the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful. Whether you agree that they do that or not is not the point. The point, you've got a business that is orientated around organising the world's information. That's massive and ambitious, yeah. but you can begin, right? The first thing you do, you're on the way to sorting that out. Um, <laughs> what it doesn't say is, let's make a search engine, or let's create an ad platform, or let's, you know, create glasses for maniacs, or driverless cars, or invest in some of the most significant breakthrough companies coming through. It doesn't, it do, it doesn't say anything specific, but it allows you to do all of those things. Mm. But it's focused enough to also give everyone a reason to go forward. And, and arguably, you look at their recent re-org, yeah. you know, that allows them to get back to that purpose. Yeah. You know, and they can say, right, company X is all about ads yeah. and search and blah, blah, blah. And company Y can be about whatever the fuck is coming next, sci-fi or evil or whatever it is we want to do. So if step one was bringing in all the right people and step two was bringing them together uh, to put all the information about the, the company, the universe it stands in, and the goal being to come up with a purpose that isn't, um, isn't crap and that, that doesn't fail the t-shirt test. Um, <laughs> What comes next after that? What's step three? So for me, this is if I'm thinking about it from a you know let's say a workshop or a, or a, an engagement perspective. Um, once you've started to get the team writing this stuff down, committing it down, putting it down, that doesn't mean that's it. There there needs to be a, a pro and this is all, this is a bit weird because this is where it kind of gets a bit like magic, mm. right? You you need to find the people either in your business or around your business that have that distillation translation superpower. So, you know, it might be someone who's great with words or great with visuals or something like that, but they need to take the assembled information and try and crush it down into something that then you can build out from. So then it can start to inform, well, you know, if we, if we exist for this reason and, we, and we're going to be doing this and not doing this, how do we start to express that? And that's when you can start to get into the hooks that you want. You know, so you think about your the, the kind of piece that's around positioning. How do we make sense to the people that we need to make sense to? Um, so that's about <laughs> that's about allowing people to love you or hate you, and to very easily navigate which of those boxes they're going to fit into, and where on the spectrum of love or hate they might be. So it's trying to then stand for something in the mind of the of the people you want to get to react. Which is position. 100% that's the way I see so you know there's lots of these brilliant charts that you'll do like a matrix or yeah. uh, some kind of you know quadrant where typically everyone's company is in the top right of that particular quadrant that they want to belong in yeah. or in the other version they're right back in the middle mm -hmm. so that's great for 
positioning in one respect. Mm. But if I think about positioning from you know, an emotional perspective, you want to be loved, which means that you're going to be hated. If you're kind of in the middle, then you're not really... This gets back to that vanilla piece that you were yeah. saying earlier. Like, meh. It's easy to not make any kind of decision about you. Yeah. Um, and that's tough, right? Because it, you kind of need to be a bit ballsy about that. It doesn't mean being different for different sake. That's not the point. The point is to say, are we standing for something that people can connect with at an emotional level? Yes, there's a functional aspect to it as well. But you're basically trying to get people to say, I like it, what is it? Or, I don't like it, please don't speak to me again. <laughs> because then you're getting to the core of meaning. So if you, if you could give us an example of a situation that you've been in before with a client where by forcing them into taking a ballsy view on their position, they had to relinquish something that they felt very attached to. And maybe it just helps illustrate for, for the audience um, what that feels like, whether it be a customer base or whether it be um, some other attribute of their business. Okay, so there were, uh, th- this is a, a startup example. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is a startup that I'm now involved in and have a stake in. Um, and when they, this is, this is pre my involvement, right? This is yeah. one of those conversations I end up in, in, in a lot with entrepreneurs really early in their story. So they came to me with, um, you know, what sounded like absolutely a great kind of business. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a proven type of business. Um, there, there were other companies out there doing similar things. Um, and they said, we can do this and we can do it better. Okay, interesting. Right, why? Um, and so as they, go, as they went through their explanation about this particular business, I, you realise that they were just a me too. There was no real differentiation. They, they believed they could do it better from a technical perspective, this, that and the other. It had no, bearing in mind this was consumer facing, mm-hmm. it had nothing to say to the consumer at all. Mm-hmm. So there was no reason for them to switch from what they were already using. There was no reason to use them as well as the other thing they were using. Mm-hmm. There was no real reason. If I look at a business plan, a business plan made sense, it's fine. But there was none of that, what do you fucking stand for? Mm-hmm. Who are you going to speak to? Mm-hmm. What customer segment can you own? as your kind of starting point to then grab the rest. Um, and they didn't have the advantage of saying, right, straight off the bat, we've got X million to go and just dominate you know, all of the messaging channels out there. Um, so I started to say, look, you need to cut this back. You need to think about the, the starting point. And the starting point is, you know, what can we kill here in order to define one customer type that we can own? And the... <laughs> The, and, and what that immediately does is reduce in your mind your potential size, you know, your potential revenue. Because you're going, oh shit, we're going to go, we're going for everyone. Now we're going for this specific target group. So immediately they're relinquishing the potential for huge, you know, which is scary revenue, right? It's scary, but at the same time they're an early stage company, so you can't start with everyone. You need to start with someone, yeah. and then mean something to that someone. Yeah, and, and personally, for you, how has that played out in terms of the companies that you work with? Have, have you ever seen yourself as, as an individual, as a freelancer, or as, as an entrepreneur, where you go to clients and you're like, you're not the client I want to work with? So, is this, a, is this something you apply as well to your So, it's a really interesting clients? thing. I'm, I, there, there was a, there was, I went to a talk, 
I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, there was a guy, I urge you to read this book if any of you listening might be in you know, creative services or, or a business where you need to pitch to win work and projects. There's a guy called Blair Enns who wrote a book called Win Without Pitching. Win Without Pitching. Okay. And <laughs> I went um, and saw a talk from this guy. Like I say, 10 years ago, I was kind of on my second version of the, the, the kind of branding business that I was building, the consultancy business that I was building. And one of the things he said to me, which I've said a hundred times to other people and sometimes maybe been attributed to me rather than him, at least in my network, uh, is the power of your yes is defined by how often you say no. And he basically said, <laughs> any of you founders in here, company founders, creative agencies, branding agencies, marketing, PR, he said, I guarantee if you go and fire a third of your clients now, you will earn more, you will be happier, you'll be more productive, you'll be more effective, etc, etc. And I swear to God, I had one of those Damascene moments, like the scales fell from my eyes and I was like, oh man, fuck, this guy's right, this guy's right. And so I, I have taken that principle with me since then onwards. So I'm, if I don't want to do this, I'm not doing this. Because even if the revenue is there, I'm not doing this. Because it's not what this business is about or me as an individual or the culture of this company or whatever. And I think you have to take that, if you really want to smash it, at the beginning to define what you are, you have to stick with that. Mm -hmm. And arguably, you see brands who lose that, right? Mm -hmm. They go say, oh, we're going to be specifically for this kind of segment. And then they, and they're amazing because of that. And then they start to bleed out. And a lot of their core audience go, that's bullshit now. And, yeah. the, and that brand can die. So they need to be able to, yeah. you know, kind of make sense and reinvent or at least stay relevant to yeah. that core audience because they're often the most powerful audience. Yeah. So, okay. So we've covered, the, in the three Ps, we've covered the, the, the purpose and how one gets to that by by having very awkward yet probing conversations. We've talked about positioning, which is, in, a, in effect, uh, multiplicity of being brave, but also at the same time telling a, a whole bunch of people, hey, I'm not the right guy for you. I'm not for you, yeah, right. And then, and then what's left? What's, what's, what's left in the trifecta piece? And then there's, there's personality, the way you express yourself. You wouldn't know anything about personality. I, I certainly would not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's basically how you express yourself. So it's, that's tone of voice, look and feel, attitude, um, you know, it, the experience you provide, right? Yeah. So that personality should come across in everything you're doing in some way. It should, uh, so here's a really interesting example, right, that I saw a company, in, and if they ever listen to this, they know who they are. They are a proper, badass, amazing company. They are genuinely smashing it. They're brilliant. Um, and many people in the UK and beyond use their product. And they came to me to show me their deck. And part of what makes them who they are is the personality of their product. From onboarding to the emails you get, to the messaging they provide, to the brand experience in-app, to their marketing, the whole thing. They are properly edgy because that's who their market is, right? Yeah. They sat down with me, and I had the CMO, CEO. They sat down with me, they showed me this deck that they had, which was kind of, I think it's a fundraising deck, and it was like a different company had written this deck. I was like, what's this? 
What, what is this? This is, there's no relationship to all of this magic that you have. There is no relationship between this and this. This is a different company. I'm not fucking investing in this shit. Do you know what I mean? It was that different. And um, they, they, are, and they are amazing, right? This is how amazing they are. So off the back of this conversation, they go away. Within I don't know a week or so, they come back. They send me uh, a document which is our brand personality, and it they did it themselves. And it is one of the best brand personality documents ever. It talks about how they should speak. It talks about their culture, their attitude, the people. Um, it talks about their customers, all in their authentic language, all of it. And you know, I guarantee the stuff they did, and this doesn't mean they're not professional, and it doesn't mean that they don't cover all of those bases. What it meant was that that personality can be infused at the right level of volume into everything they do. And I, I would say to you now, one of their strongest um, and defensible pieces of their business is that personality. Mm. It really is. And how, do, and how does, um, going back to the whole conversation about multiple people in a room with different personalities. I mean, one, one argument would be that, well, if you have that many differing personalities that are uh, completely juxtaposed from each other, maybe you hired wrong. Right. You say that if you've made that mistake. Yeah, yeah. You said, you said, one of the C-Camp companies called Saber, which helps you <laughs> identify compatibility between founders. But how do you manage to prevent um, a personality bland scenario or one that it becomes comical, right? Because it's so easy to look at somebody else's brand personality, other brands that you admire, and be yeah. like, oh, those guys are cheeky, so I'm going to be cheeky too. Yeah. And then you kind of inherited a personality rather than sort of taking yeah. the effort. But this is why you have the three P's and not just yeah. the one P. Yeah. So the, the indicator is go back to our purpose, why do we exist? Go back to our positioning, who are we meant for and how should they understand what we do and that will lead you automatically to your personality this is fuck all to do with my personality or your personality we're going back to the brief again the brief dictates the personality the thing we're building the audience we want to reach mm. the marketplace we're operating in mm. you know this is the uh, you, I know you've heard me say this before but this is this principle about um, it's like ha having, a, having a dress code for a party right you get an invite to a party uh, and on the dress code it says um, you know dress code little black dress so you know if you turn up to that party in a pink miniskirt and boot tube, you're in the wrong place apart. You'll stand out, but for all the wrong reasons. You want to turn up to that party in the best little black dress you can imagine. So everyone else in the party is going, whoa, wish I'd had that one. That, that's the principle, right? It's like you've got to wear the right... It's the right dress code, but you're standing out for all the right reasons. Not being, hey, wow, we're just different for the sake of it. People just go, they will laugh you out of the place. And, and, that, and that's why the purpose and the positioning stuff, yeah. um, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to put some stuff on the C-Camp site if it helps to articulate some of this, mm. this, this information. Um, but if you've, got that, if you've got the purpose and the positioning stuff right, you will always, you'll, you'll be led to the personality. This will not be a, oh, but what kind of tone of voice do we need? You'll know. You'll know. Yeah. Well, that's great. I think that, that puts up um, a nice wrapper to the, the idea of what a brand is, at least in, in a very succinct form. Of course, it involves a lot more, and there's a lot more time that you spend with companies in helping them even in some of the subtleties between these mm. P's. And, um, and, and if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, uh, mm. is there a place that they can go at least to learn more? 
so I'm, as you well know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not necessarily someone who puts myself out in the world too much. Um, this podcast is a challenge for me. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm Gabby Kane, uh, G-A-B-B-I-C-A-H-A-N-E, happy to engage, but I'm not, I'm not out there blogging, I'm just, I'm out there as a person, so if you know someone who knows me, you can get an intro to me, I pretty much meet with everybody, uh, kind of happy to chat, happy to have those conversations, see if I can point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, I can't work with everyone or for everyone, and as you, as I've said, the power of my yes is defined by how often I say no. But but I'm you know you can ask around. I'm typically like pretty fair with my time and try and yeah. help people as much as I can. No, you are you are. Um, do you have any partying thoughts that you want to share? Partying thoughts or partying? partying. I've lots of partying thoughts. <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. Uh, parting thoughts. Um, I, I would say like don't treat your brand as an afterthought. Like certainly, you can think about um, you know visual identity, logo design as a, as 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 iterative process as your tech might be, as your business is certainly going to be. Um, I would say if if you integrate all of these things together, you, you've got a much better shot of having something m- that makes sense and will win. And that's by the way, right for big corporates or early stage companies. You know, I, I'm now what am I involved with? Probably t- ten or so directly, where I've either I'm an investor or an advisor, yeah. and then many more through the accelerators that I'm involved with or I've invested in. Um, and I would say that all of those companies that I've had some exposure to, and we've been through something like this, or they've been through something like this on their own, mm-hmm. they've they've got to somewhere much more quickly than they would have done by integrating this notion of brand into everything they do. Mm-hmm. Because you know, you think about building a, a kind of I know, an onboarding process. You know, this is a brand thing as much as a as much as a kind of you know customer uh, experience or so user experience thing and a UI thing. It's a brand thing. This yeah. is like how are you taking even when you're wireframe, think about how it's going to play out to people beyond just the functionality. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about you've got some magic around this amazing algorithm, how do you make that make sense to people that that's what is magic? It's a brand thing. So it's not, you know, that that code, that tech is also your brand. So it's not like, oh, your tech is like that thing over there, brands that, it's not, it's all of this shit is your brand. So integrate it from the beginning. Think about why you exist, who you need to speak to, how you need to articulate that and how you're going to express it from day one and you've got a shot of really standing out and, and being important to people beyond just the functionality of your product. That's great. Well, thanks for your time, Gabby. You are more than welcome, sir. And until next time, guys, bye.